Hello, everybody. Welcome to Five Hole Fantasy Hockey. We're your hosts today, TJ Branson and Zach Vogel. Hey, hey, hey. So we got a trio of interviews for you guys. Zach was only able to make the last one. You are, you're working. Yeah, you sorry about that. Nah, no sweat. So we got Arthur Staple, who is covering the New York Islanders on The Athletic, and Allison Lucan for the Columbus Blue Jackets. And then we're joined by Omar Abdugawad, who is the, the editor for Cardiac Canes and... Uh, he runs his own podcast called the Revolution Rampage podcast as well. So he's going to be doing our Canes coverage or the Canes interview. I hope you guys enjoy these interviews. And here we go. <laughs> I had no train of thought. One thing I'll I'll say I'll say this Omar. One thing I've always told TJ about like coming to Canes games down here. Like a lot of times I'll go when they're like, because uh, I'm also a Toronto fan, so I'll go to like the the Toronto games and I'll, I'll like actually. Dances. I mean, in all honesty, I'll go to any game. I don't care who they're playing. I just like watching hockey. But like a lot of times I'll go to specifically Flyers and Toronto games. One thing I always kind of explain to TJ is. Say you're a Hurricanes fan in Philadelphia going to one of those games. Everybody's giving you shit, including TJ. TJ will walk around and just ask people, hey, anybody tell you to fuck off yet? They'll be like, no. And he'll be like, hey, fuck off. But down here, you'll be wearing opposing colors and people will open the door for you and be like, hey, thanks for coming. (laughs) Southern hospitality. You know, all up there need to learn a thing or two. Well, Southern hospitality is a myth, but the people at Canes Games are, are in general very nice. Well, you got to realize, like, what we're trying to do is convert you to being a Canes fan, not trying to shove you oh, out the door. Yeah, but yeah, that's and it works because okay. how many Toronto fans are now Canes fans? That, hap- I, that happens. A, t- a Carolina Hurricanes player got first star of a game in Toronto to a, um, in a complete assigning applause. Oh, is that the David Ayers? Yeah. David Ayers. David Ayers. <laughs> Brutal. <laughs> you guys are going to have that on Toronto forever. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think the rest of the league has that on Toronto forever. It's like, <laughs> yeah, we might suck, but we didn't lose to our own Zamboni driver. I had Frederick Anderson playing in the other end of that game, and I was like, oh, sweet. I'm totally going to get a win out of this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How'd so, that work no out? dice. I was hosting an episode of Revolution Rampage live in the distillery, a rum distillery that kind of not hosts us, is where I'm, that sponsors us. Yeah. I'm watching this game go down, and we are recording between periods, right? So we are recording a live episode between periods of this game. And like after first period, it's like, oh, Reimer, hope he gets better, but it looks like Ned's coming up. You know, we need Alex and Delvich to come up, and Peter will finish his game out. No big deal, right? And, uh, you know, that was the conversation. And then the second parent, and now we're mad, right? Really? They're giving us a Zamboni driver? This guy's <laughs> letting in two goals on two shots? This guy hasn't made a save? Like, we are so screwed. The system is broken. This is bad. <laughs> Third period happens. Of course, your Disney story. And we're recording this between periods. So the entire episode is a roller coaster of a ride because the Kings showed up with a heavy offense to begin the game and then close it out with incredible defense. I mean, the guy earned a win because of just (laughs) relentless puck control. You're a Toronto fan. How much does that Toronto offense cost? 
Um, it's expensive. <laughs> yeah, they couldn't score on their own Zamboni driver. I remember listening to that game. I was I was in the middle of a shift and I was watching the damn game. I was watching it. I was, you know, in the trenches on the line <laughs> and I was just like this poor guy. I started getting tweets coming in from like Elliot Freeman and all the guys that I had the notifications on for. And I was like, I need to listen to this game. I feel so bad for this guy already because like you said, two shots, two goals. And I was just like, this is going to be a, a 15 goal game. This one is not going to end well. And then he just kept doing it. Just kept doing it. Yeah. So he showed incredible puck management, which is more than you can ask for most goalies. Like he actually, he didn't just like sit there like, oh God, don't shoot at me. He was just, he actually got out of the net, went to the corners, played the puck. Like he was enjoying himself. Hey, like it was a beer league game. And <laughs> that's your one why shot. Why right? not? Yeah, yeah. Why not? All right, we're going to get started here. We are joined with Omar, the editor of Cardiac Canes and also one of the hosts of the Revolution Rampage podcast, as you guys heard. Yeah, if there's anything else you're working on, let us know where people can find you, man. Podcast is on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. Twitter handle is at Revolution R. Instagram is at Revolution Rampage. That's Revolution with the color red because Canes. Uh-huh. Facebook.com slash Revolution R. Of course, I edit and control, not control, but edit and manage CardiacCane.com, which is the biggest Carolina Hurricanes media platform, independent media platform, you can say, fan-based blog. Uh, We're not exactly the most credentialed writers, but we have the most content, and for a small market like Carolina, it's always good to have more and more people talk about the Canes and everything. How are you guys doing today? Doing all right, man. Yeah, man. I caught a couple shots of this Glenn Fittich, and I just got <laughs> off a <of> word. jelly. <laughs> <laughs> so let's uh, let's start picking your brain, man. Uh, we're gonna start off with Andrei Sveshnikov. What a fucking year! What a year last year! And I'm, I'm wondering. I mean, he's got everything. Uh, he fought friggin' Alexander Ovechkin. He fought him. Uh, did not win, but he fought him. He I'm wondering. Or look. So here's the thing about Andrei Sveshnikov, right? He every day he gets more and more ballsy when you've got rod the bod coaching you and look i'm not gonna lie this team gets stronger every day when the season returns if the season returns i feel bad for every team out there that isn't the carolina hurricanes because there is no team in the league that is as well conditioned as the hurricanes because of rod brindamore and Bill Berniston. So Bill Berniston is not a well-known name, but he is the head strength and conditioning coach who's been on the team for a while, but he's been under the wing of Rod Brindmore. If you watch any of the Twitter after the game or it's like, you've got Billy, and they groan, it's because Billy's the gym coach. When they get in there, they're in the Church of Steel, and they will lift and get stronger. Every player on that roster has gotten incredibly stronger since Rod Brynmore has taken over. I've seen Sebastian Ajo, this Finnish kid, right? He hasn't really been the throw people around kind of guy. Yeah, but he's, he's, not, been, he's not a big guy. He's no, not he's a big not, guy. But he's been throwing people around. He's going to get those Tarasenko legs, man. Right. He's not known for that. He's known for speed, excellent puck control. He's known for breakaways, hands. But here he is when he needs to. You know, he's not going after guys and like hunting people down by any means. But if he's stuck in a corner and someone's trying coming down on him, he's he's going to toss his weight. And guess what? Because this team is so much stronger now, we're seeing those battles being won by Carolina when it hasn't been in the past. 
I always remember them kind of being like this Corsi phenomenon. They they would just outshoot, and their defensive system would keep you from shooting. Where do you kind of see Sveshnikov's ceiling here? Is he going to be somebody that challenges for some sort of trophies down the line, or, or where do you kind of like where do you put him with Sveshnikov? He's going to break barriers. He's got a mentality of when someone tells him, "Hey, you can't do that," or "Yeah, I don't know about that." He's going. He says, "Oh, I'm going to do it. Watch me." Right, and then we've seen that this year with the lacrosse goal, right? Or right, just yeah. now, all hail the fetch. I mean, think about the conditions and where he done that. It was a one nothing game. They were losing to pull that off in the third period. Balls. And to, to, well, to, I mean, you got nothing balls. to lose. Why? Why the hell not? Not only that, but to have the vision to do it unopposed because the puck is most vulnerable when it's floating on your stick. Any defender could just come in and whack it off. And what's stopping the goalie from just grabbing it off your stick? Yeah, right? they, they started to read it after a while. Yeah, they're starting to read it, but to have that – he's he's attempted it before. Yeah. He, this is the first time it succeeded, and he's done it again against the Jets in Winnipeg. He'll do it again. Oh, he'll do it again and again. <laughs> And, he'll, and then he'll do but something people, else. Too. People are going to start going back behind that net, net and hitting the shit out of them before they're going to say, "You are you 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 can do it, but you're not going to do it against us." That's well, yeah. what a lot of teams. Are yeah, but do. here's the thing. So here's what happens, and this is what's beautiful about this, but th- this threat. Whenever he goes back there, someone's going to go with him. He's going to draw a defender out of position, and all, and that defender is not going to be able to stay in front of the net. Do that on a power play. Now you've got three people in front of the net instead of four. Someone's got to go back there now, right? Mm-hmm. Look at the when the world you've opened up. <laughs> That's the player that Andre Sveshnikov is. He's going to challenge the norm, and he's going to show show us plays that we haven't seen before. Every coach that's going to coach against the Carolina Hurricanes is going to have to change something because he's going to do something incredible. And he's not a small kid. By any means, he's gotten bigger he's since. He's stout. He is stout. He's going to get bigger. That's a good way to describe yeah. Andre Svechnikov. Thicker than he's a snicker, boy. <laughs> so he's, he's going to continue to grow. And I think, yes, he's going to compete for heart trophies, other other trophies. Yeah, I because can see the Richard. I can see the Richard. Here's the thing. I'm, I'm going to say heart. And, I, and here's the thing why. Because the Carolina Hurricanes are about to enter an era of dominance. I, I'm loving this bullish attitude right now, man. You rarely get it. I mean, there's 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 not much coming out of Carolina, like you said. It's a small hockey market, so I'm really loving the the optimism here. Tell me tell me about these kids. Tell me about like I mean, you got Nietzsche leading the way. You got plenty of people coming up. So Nietzsche is down the AHL too. Right. Yeah. So let's break down their prospects and the kids are coming up because a lot of these guys were from the Ron Francis years, right? Nietzsche was the last Ron Francis pick, first round pick, let's say. Um, Then you've got Ryan Suzuki is incredible on his own, not to mention he's played with Sveshnikov with the Barry Colts for years. Uh, not for years, one year. Sveshnikov only spent a year in the OHL. Those two are going to be incredible. He's already incredible. He's already outplaying people in the OHL. He He's going to spend maybe a year in the AHL, if that, and then find his way up in Carolina. Uh, you've got... Nate Martin Natchez, who again, another kid who's he's taken a while to grow, but the way he's growing, this kid's gonna play a David Pasternak style of hockey. He's gonna attack the net from all angles, and he's he's gonna be another threat. So you've got dynamic threats in the first and second line. I mean, by the time Carolina goes into next season, if they can just add another top line winger, which is 
in their budget right now, because Don Waddell is somehow a wizard at moving <laughs> money, you're going to have two lines that are worthy of being first lines on their own rights. And then your third and fourth lines are going to be around that th- third line plus, and they're going to be cheap because he's already locked a couple defenders for an extreme low rate. You know, I'm, not, I'm, t- I'm talking about Jacob Slavin and Brett Pesci, those two mm-hmm. defenders. Again, they're so young. Uh, Dougie Hamilton is going to need a contract in a year, but I got a feeling that he's found he, he looks good in Carolina. He's doing stuff in Carolina that he hasn't been able to do anywhere else. And I, I think for a small market to be able to connect with a player at that level is probably very good for their pay for their uh, for pockets and co- contract wise, especially with COVID going on. We don't know what the salary cap is going to look like next year. Right. Yeah. So that's going to be a good that's going to be good news for the Hurricanes. How about uh, like in our discord? We had a specific question about Patrick Pistola. Uh, what do you think like kind of an estimated time of arrival for him is? And when do you think that Carolina finally goes all in on the youth movement here? Because they got they got older guys, right? They got like uh, uh, Justin Williams. Order. Justin Williams is when really I when I say older, older I'm talking about the vets like friggin uh, stall. The older guys are your goaltenders. How stall that, I, Williams. I forget how that Trocheck thing work out. I mean, we only saw seven games out of him, and he's been great in them. So, I mean, he's our real second-line center right now because Jordan Stahl is getting old, like you said, and he's got a couple more years on his contract. He's wearing the C. He'll be there. Uh, when it comes to Justin Williams, I can't see any more than this, more than a season out of him if this isn't his final season. Now, this is not how he wants his final season right, to yeah. go. Uh, had had this season just continued on track without coronavirus, um, I would have said, yeah, he's hanging up the skates after this season, probably getting into coaching. Uh, the way it goes, he might ask for one more season. I don't know how that contract will look like. He'll probably get another 35-year-plus contract, kind of like the one he got this year when he showed up late. Yeah, I mean, other than that, it's all, the rest are kids. Aho's still young. Teravainen is still young. Uh, Svech, of course, Natchez. Uh, I mean, I mean, Trocek is a little older, but he's going to be your next veteran. That's it. Yeah, Tro- he's 26. Trocek. Right. Your your veterans are 26. That's not <laughs> exactly an old team. To From, answer your question about Patrick Pistil, yeah. we didn't actually touch on that. And I'd hate for your Discord group to get upset and like, you let him go off without that. <laughs> I like what I see from him very much. What he did in the World Juniors is incredible. Uh, he's one of the couple of guys out there like uh, Dominic Bach, the other Finnish kid. I can't, his name escaping right now, but they're all playing extremely well. And I can see them um, coming up to becoming the next AHL guard because we lost a lot of AHL players in trades. Uh, what the hell is going on with the checkers too, man? Aren't they like yeah. they're, they're thinking about like relocating or are they just no? The checkers are never the gonna checkers? No, the checkers are not gonna relocate. They're owned locally. So Michael Kahn, the owner of checkers, lives in Charlotte. So yeah, the, the but they're, they're gonna be yeah, they're gonna be affiliated the, with Chicago. No, that's the checkers. wolves is what I'd heard. The wolves, yeah. So I I want to talk on that. I don't want to divert too far from talking about with, with the prospects. All okay, I was gonna yeah. say is these because we lost Yanni Kokinen, we lost. Um, a, a lot of these kids that were supposed to be the next guard, we we gave them up through trades as Don Waddell kind of like said, yeah, I'm putting the stacks down for Vincent Trocek, Brady Shea, Sammy Vatnin. We're going after it this season. That didn't happen, of course. Sammy Vatnin may never 
dress for the Hurricanes. Right, yeah. Uh, which might result in some interesting things happening, like perhaps a consolation pick or something like that. When it comes to Chicago's and Checkers, right, the AHL season is officially over. If the Canes were truly committed to the Wolves, a deal would have happened. What makes it even more interesting, you can go and check it on Twitter. The bio for the Wolves on Twitter is newly single, looking for a <laughs> <laughs> looking for a relationship. Hit us in the DMs, right? So right, right. I don't think it's a done deal with the Wolves at all, or else it would have happened already. I think between I don't want to say fan outrage, but there was a reason the Checkers and the Greenville Swamp Rabbits are the AHL and ECHL affiliates. It's just are really close, right? I mean, the whole trip between the ECHL to Raleigh is a five-hour trip from Greenville Swamp Rabbits to Ch- Charlotte Checkers to Carolina Hurricanes. You can what drive that. a great that. name, by the way, the Swamp Rabbits. <laughs> I love their logo. Their logo is incredible because they got the uh, they got a big ass carrot as a as a hockey stick, <laughs> and it's beautiful. I want you to know that I'm looking up this logo as we speak. You have to look at their thirds too. So they have orange thirds that are beautiful. The question is, why disturb all that to send players to and from Chicago? Now, granted, Don Waddell, and we're going to bring it back to Waddell, had a, a relationship with the Chicago Wolves back when he was the uh, Atlanta Thrasher GM. Because the, the Wolves were the affiliate of the Thrashers back then. So we're see, we're seeing kind of that he's like, well, if Charlotte doesn't want to play ball, if Michael Kahn does not want to pay up, the new, the, the appropriate dudes, because the Checkers have been enjoying a deep discount from the Carmanos years. Tom Dundon is a little bit more frugal than that. Uh, so he's like, well, you guys are enjoying all this, and all our fans are going down to your games, and your fans are eh, trickling up to our games. Kind of feel like the Hurricanes are getting the long end of this deal. So let's just, let's let's renegotiate. Michael Khan is like, well, we'll go, we'll affiliate with the I think Panthers. This is almost kind of like a bluff thing. He's trying to call a bluff or what? Uh, power moves, business power moves. It's just what happens when you get two very savvy businessmen and Tom Dundon and Michael Kahn who are doing this dance, right? They're dancing around each other right now. Part of media, I can only see what I can see, right? I don't, I, no one's privy to what is being said in the meetings. Yeah, that's fair. So we don't know who's at fault, but they did put out that very dramatic statement saying, we we under, we heard about what's going on with the wolves. We weren't told anything about that. So which could be very possible that Tom mm. Dunn just said, Okay, got up and then called the Chicago Wolves and then forced Michael Kahn to find out about it through Twitter. I mean that's oh. a power move. All right. So I want to touch on Trocheck again. Um looking back at what was it, seventeen, eighteen with Florida, that was his like breakout year, and that's kind of what us as fantasy owners are just yearning for. It, it's so close in our memory that we just can't divorce the the player from that performance yeah he was seeing over 21 minutes a game he was getting huge power play minutes with all the big boys down there and i think a third of his production came from that power play and it, it seems like um power play two is kind of where he settled in carolina like you said for only seven games so is there a path to the top power play or do they need him on that second unit to take the face-offs do you think maybe somebody else could step in and they could really stack that top unit there's always a path in carolina and that's because the <laughs> Rob Brindamore is a earn your place kind of coach. He doesn't care about what you've done in the past. He cares about what you can show me now, right? It's earn your place, right? He pushed the captain 
to the third line. Why? Jordan Stahl wasn't performing. And then on that second line, we've had a, a different host of pe- players that have gone between the second line and the fourth line. Warren Fogle, Brock McGinn, have all seen, and even Nino Niederreiter, have seen time in the second line and then found themselves on the fourth line. Now, yep. His first line's pretty much set, but if you play really well, you might get first line time. Warren Fogle last year got himself first line time. Nino he play, got He himself. played well, too, when he got first line he time. He did. So here's what's interesting. To answer your question about Trocek, can, and I, I know what you're trying to ask. You're trying to ask is, can Trocek go back to those numbers and yep. really start satisfying fantasy owners who 100%. are going to use a high-round uh, high draft pick to pick him up? And the answer is yes. And the reason for that is because he's, he's going to play with Nino with, – with, sorry, not Nino, uh, Martin Natchez. He's going to play with Natchez, and I've already told you how great Natchez is. And having a strong big center like Trocek is only going to expound that play. Natchez was doing great with Hala until Hala got hurt. Hala is a same kind of frame as Trocek, except Trocek's less injury prone. Yeah, yeah sure. Hala's a step faster when he's on 100%. And Hala's not going to be on that team again next year. Probably not. We don't know. I, I'm not going to pretend to know what's going what's going on with Florida and their money. They got a shit ton of uh, free agents next year. They're going to lose guys like Mike Hoffman, amongst other names. So I'm Florida is a mess. I mean, what's new? But to return back to Trocheck, he's going to get Martin Natchez, and if the Canes pick up a another forward free agency or by trade or any other means, again, Waddell has a Weird habit of getting names from nowhere. Or if a guy like Ryan Zingle can finally play to his aspired level, then he's going to have weapons with him. With weapons comes points. Not to mention, especially when talking about power play, right? Between Jake Gardner and Dougie Hamilton, both power play lines are going to be equally devastating i mean dougie hamilton is just a forward masquerading as a defender you can't tell me otherwise i mean the man was the highest scorer on the team before he got hurt and he's um and for those wondering yeah he's getting he's gotten better he's back on the ice he's actually practiced a couple times before corona hit um and he's expected to play whenever the hurricanes hit the ice next time so i want to move on to the crease kind of so you have Morazic, you have Reimer. They're both there for another year, but then it's all up in the air after that. Oh yeah. What I've a, I've a pretty good feeling of what to expect next year. More of the same as oh, far I as would, I as wouldn't say more of the Mar- same. Morazic, Morazic getting the bulk of starts, and Reimer. It, it was more of like a two thirds, one third of of what I saw between the two, and and Reimer had great stats, but they didn't really give Morazic all the hard games and Reimer all the easy games. After next year, though, what in the world do you think the Canes are going to do? Next year's also a question mark because you have Alex and Delkovich who's going to be out on one way. You're going to have three goalies in Carolina because Alex and Delkovich would have to go back down on waivers and I'm he would sorry, not but survive. He would not survive waivers. Hell right? no. No. So I'm expecting a trade of some sort, if because of COVID and everything happening, a compliance buyouts are given out, I can see a goalie getting up, picking up a compliance buyout in order to make room for Ned. Now, will that be Morazic? 
people that be Reimer. Now, here's the thing about Ned. Ned is not a big frame. And he plays with a bit of fire to him. That reminds you of anyone because he's a carbon copy of Peter Mrazek, who was a lot younger. We actually recorded with Ned uh, on Revolution Rampage. He's, he joined the show. And from the way he tells it, he wants to play with that fire and intensity. What he gets from that is every time – you've seen Mrazek do the head shake where he kind of – where he does that thing where to, to readjust <laughs> his mask. And, and that pumps everyone up else around him. He does that after a great save. And he's just because he doesn't wear that neck guard, so the the mask shifts on him. So he shakes his head in order to readjust the mask on his and face. I like that. It, yeah, it pumps people up. It pumps me up. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I mean, he's fire. And Ned, I'll look for it. Ned has his own little tweaks. Reimer played like Curtis McElhaney. Reimer is a steady hand. He's been there. He's seen it all. Right. Well, he's thirty. Pretty, he's thirty-one years old. Yeah, he's 31 years old. How many teams has he played for? He's played for plenty of teams. And same as Curtis McElhaney. Nothing he's shakes better, him. He's better than McElhaney. He, he is an improvement on McElhaney. I'm he's not going to lie. Honestly, I didn't think he was going to play another season. I didn't think he was going to sign for another season like he did uh, and then go play for Tampa. I mean, he's doing okay in Tampa. It's not bad. He's not getting as many stars as he would have in Carolina, but behind Vasilevsky. So that's it is what it is. Uh, but Reimer, Reimer's earned starts in Carolina more than right. McElhaney has. Put your, put your money down. Who are the goalies? The goalies for next year? Yeah. Our goalies for next year is going to be starting in that. It's going to be Peter Mrazek behind and with Alex Ndelkovic behind him. So they'll get rid of Reimer. They'll, they'll trade Reimer. He's earned. He's He's gotten some value recently. He definitely has value. Yeah. yeah. He might have. He might actually have more value than Morasic because Morasic, number one, has a stigma behind him uh, of being a problem at previous teams, particularly right. Detroit. On top of the fact that Reimer is obviously perfectly fine with being a backup, so it, he's gonna go to another team that is looking to upgrade their backup situation. It'll be easier to move. Yeah, which is why I am saying Reimer. And this is why you're right. Now, Carolina is a more forgiving city, or Raleigh, should I say, is a more forgiving city than most big cities. Don't take this the wrong way, but Philadelphia is not a forgiving city. No, I'll agree with you. Except when it comes to gritty, I guess he can commit any crime he wants and get away with it. Allegedly. Um, See exactly what I mean. But what I'm trying to say is Dougie Hamilton coming to Carolina – uh, didn't have to worry about any stigma that came with him. Same happened with Peter Morazic. Same happened with Curtis McElhaney. Honestly, as a fan base, again, we kind of inherited Rod Brindamore's kind of attitude of whatever you came here with, we don't care. Show us that you can earn your spot. That means good or bad, we don't care. But show us what you can do. Make us love you. Dougie Hamilton took that and ran. Halla, we kind of liked him at first, and then issues start coming out. Now, Eric Halla is a great player. I mean, how many players have a Twitter handle just to follow their ass? Um, <laughs> yes, I'm not even kidding. There's a Eric Halla's ass Twitter handle that came with him from Vegas. But then he didn't really. So when he got traded away, we didn't. We weren't attached. We're like, yeah, okay, okay, Vincent Trocheck. Well, you yeah, it's a lot easier not to be past. attached when you get something like Vincent Trocheck back. Right. Yeah. And we're like, well, honestly, we were more hurt that Lucas Walmart 
was the one leaving because he's been around. He's kind of earned his spots. Now, granted, Yanni Kokinen was another hurt loss, hurtful loss, because he earned himself some playoff games last year. Brady Shea comes with his own SNL skit. Why not? So you talked about Dougie. Almost on pace for 25 goals. What do you got for him next year? What are you hoping for? What do you think will actually happen? Dougie Hamilton has doesn't have anything to prove to the Canes fan base, but he's definitely trying to stamp his mark on hockey, right? He's trying to show everyone. He's trying to return the favor to Carolina by showing the rest of the NHL world that it wasn't him that was quote unquote locker room cancer or was bad. It was that everyone else never gave him a chance. So he's going to go on. He's going to stop people. He's going to win the Norris next year. Oh boy. There's that optimism again. I look the optimism gets stomped out of you when you're in Philly for long enough. So (laughs) I'm not trying to have any of that rub off on me. Nine straight years of not making the playoffs. And we still had optimism. Because we've always gotten to – not only that, we were bubble teams for like six of those years. You know how I know exactly that? Because I went back and I looked at the 2014 uh, concept for the playoffs that they're all talking about for this year. And I was like, damn, if that happened in six of the nine years, Carolina would have been in the playoffs. And I'm considering just 12 teams out of, out of each conference making it, not the best 24 teams out of the whole league. Yeah. I still don't have no idea how they're going to do this for the upcoming season, so upcoming playoffs, if whatever they're planning on doing. But yeah, so Dougie Hamilton is going to come into next season with Avengers because he was denied in his eyes, in my eyes, a chance to properly compete for the Norris. Now, granted, which is most likely going to the Capitals defender. Um, what is Carlson. his name? Carlson. Yeah, John Carlson. Or but he was... I mean, yeah, but he was he was beating both of them. He was on not only was he on pace for twenty five goals, he was probably going to get more as Carolina after. I mean, think about it. After getting Vincent Trocheck and then getting him on the power play, and the fact that Carolina started playing cleaner and cleaner, getting more and more power plays because they got rid of some troublemakers. They got rid. Of, I mean, not only that, like kids like Andrei Sveshnikov were starting to actually play properly with like he was getting high sticks every game. It was getting ridiculous. Robin Moore, I don't know, he, he, he made him sweat that off in the gym. Well, I tell you what, Omar, man, it was a pleasure talking to you. And uh, appreciate thanks, it, for, guys. thanks for hopping on, man. We appreciate it. So i got a question for you guys. Sure. Shoot. Philadelphia's little bus of a season. You, you, are you guys going to be able to continue that next year? As far as I'm concerned, they won the Stanley Cup this year. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, all right. So looking back, you got Columbus this year. The year before that, it was the New York Islanders. They all played with this chip on their shoulder. Philadelphia is going to go into next season with that same chip on their shoulder because nobody for the longest time took it seriously, took us seriously. And I think it's finally time for – I don't put much weight into like the NHL on Instagram, like their power rankings or anything, but I watched the Flyers win nine games in a row and move up one power ranking spot. And then I watched, <laughs> I watched the Penguins go like six and four – and they moved up like four spots. And I was like, all right, so not even the media really gives us the time of day or anything like that. So I don't know. There, there is this kind of monkey on our back, and I think we need to get rid of it. The media loves superstars. So yeah, you guys don't have a Sidney Crosby. Well, you build gonna... superstars in the playoffs, and that's, true. that's what they remember. It is true. I'll well, see you guys in the playoffs. If it yeah, this year. I hope so. 
All right. Thanks again. You guys can find Omar on Twitter at Cardiac Canes, where you are the the editor over there. And uh, check out the Revolution Rampage podcast, Revolution with R-E-D. I'm going to have both linked in the description of the episode. So awesome. thanks again so much, man. Hope you have a great night. Guys, you too. cool all right guys that was omar and now we're going to be checking in with allison who is going to be answering our questions on the columbus blue jackets hello thank you so much for hopping on taking time out tonight the kids went to bed a little (laughs) i was able to hop a little earlier everybody we're joined with allison lucan you are allison l on twitter and one of the co-hosts of Too Many Men podcasts. You cover the Blue Jackets on The Athletic. If there's anything else you're working on, let us know. You covered all the bases in one fell swoop. <laughs> so I think uh, the elephant in the room with the Blue Jackets this year was the injuries. At a certain point, it was, to me, it seemed, it felt like a stone-gathering moss. It just it would not stop. I'm curious how Texier and Jones, how are they? those guys holding up? Yeah, Jones is actually, um, as far as we know, recovered to the point that he left Columbus, where he was recovering with the support of the training staff and is back with his family in Texas. Um, So, And that's pretty much on schedule with where he was supposed to be. Uh, Texier, who had a stress fracture in his back, has started skating, um, but that is, is pretty much all we know. Those can be tricky anywhere in the body, particularly in the back. So... Not sure, but you would hope that he's getting closer. And how about, like, let's just go down the list. You got Dubinsky, Kukin, Anderson. There's so many. Atkinson, even. <laughs> I was going to say, the list is long. <laughs> um, yeah, Dubinsky is still, you know, I, I think his his career is in question at this point. Um, wow. We didn't see him all season. Um, we didn't see him around the rink. Uh, so that that's a big question mark there. Uh, Kukin was... Um, he was a longer term, um, depending on what happens with this season, it's, it's possible he could be back, but I would think he's definitely back for next season. Anderson is again, another longer term one shoulder surgery that took him out. So I don't slate him in until next season. Uh, Atkinson was good to go. Um, he was supposed to return uh, the game that began at the pause. Um, and then Bjorkstrand is the other significant guy they had lost, um, and he was a couple weeks behind Jones with a very similar injury. So I would expect him uh, to be getting closer um, to 100% here soon. I want to talk now about Oliver Bjorkstrand. We call him affectionately. And, and if he ever catches word of this nickname, we call him it affectionately. We call him Ollie BJ on our show. Um, <laughs> and man, what a, <laughs> what a breakout he had this year. It was something that we'd all been looking forward to and we're so happy to have seen. Uh, how likely is this to repeat again next year? You know, I think it, it's likely. Um, the things that had hindered him in the past were first he had slow starts. Um, So if you look over his seasons, they really ramp up as they come close to the end. And then the other thing that hurt him was he wasn't really finding the other half of his game, the defensive side of his game, which would hinder his head coach's choices in terms of putting him out there. Um, I think he really learned it. And intriguingly, I think he learned it from Artemi Panarin, which is an effective way to play that game in that you control the puck and you are strong on the puck. He brought that to his game this year, and I think he's now really rounded out who he is as a player. I think he accepted the challenge, um, and I think we are starting to see what a consistent um, Oliver Bjorkstrand can be. 
It was impressive. I was I was happy to have him on my fantasy team, and I missed out on him in one of our dynasty leagues. But uh, you know, kudos to whoever gets him. Uh, Josh Anderson, two years ago, absolute juggernaut, and last season he slowed down a bit. I heard your spot on Keeping Carlson, great spot, great show. That said, that Josh Anderson never fully recovered. Um, now, my question is: Does he want to stay in Columbus? This is more about the contract here, right. or is he going to be moving somewhere? Does, do you get the feeling that he would uh, kind of just chase the best deal? Yeah, that's the million dollar literally <laughs> question. Right? Just, um, and, 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 you know, we did not see him a lot this year because he was injured. Um, so it's very hard for me to know. Um, I think that this is a special player, as, as I said, on keeping Carlson. Um, great guys there, like you said. Um, a special player, one that I think the organization should be willing to just chuck last year, take it off the table as far as consideration and pay him. Um, but if the player doesn't want to stay, it, you can't you can't make that happen. We don't know. We know, obviously, that there were some acrimonious things that went down in the last contract negotiation. Um, but it's funny, the coaches here in Columbus are putting their players through daily kind of quizzes to keep their minds sharp. They have to be turned mm. in at 9 a.m. And Josh is one of the guys getting those in early. So um, take that for what you will. Okay, uh, let's speak now to the the goalies here. You got Elvis Merzlikens, Corpusalo, uh, Matisse Kildnicks, and Vaini Vivalainen, Daniel Tarasov. Two questions. So why does Columbus seem to have a nose for impossible to pronounce names on the first try? And uh, more seriously, who do you think is the long-term plan here? <laughs> yeah, I think that um, it, it, it's a fun first question, but the reality is <laughs> that uh, – Ian Clark, who is now with the Canucks, was the goaltending coach here for some time. And and he deserves a lot of credit for being able to mine that European goaltending market mm. and find players like all of those that you mentioned. Um, in terms of the long-term plan, you know, I think that in reality, the guy that they're most excited about is Daniil Tarasov. Um, he slipped in drafts because he had a significant leg injury that took a complete season off of his career. But again, because Ian Clark had those connections, he was able to keep tabs on the kid and they were able to bring him in. I think he's the one that the scouts around the world are getting most excited about. Um, and then I think you're looking at Vini Vevelinen and Elvis um, as being really close there to Corpusalo showed he can withstand the task. Um, but, you know, again, I, I don't know that there's just as much excitement around him, but I think he's a very good goaltender and it, it, it'll be interesting to see who the Blue Jackets have in net both this season and next. It was something that we were watching closely, but it, it almost seemed to happen in rapid succession there, uh, the two <laughs> contracts. Okay, the the prospect pipeline is, it's impressive. And I think a lot of them are starting to show their faces in the NHL. Emil Bemstrom is somebody that um, has excited me. He's been fierce on the power play but his even strength tom and ice just was was lacking a little bit what sort of season would you project for him next year yeah i think it's it's what you said you know he was i think a big part of him making the club this year was his ability to hopefully contribute on the power play that's his calling card it's his shot there from the left circle that's where he was comfortable i think this was a player like many young players who really needed to get acclimated to the nhl and was still in that process um, I don't know that he's ever going to be a top six guy in terms of even strength, um, but a power play specialist for sure. I mean, that's valuable too. Foodie, he mm -hmm. he saw some time in the NHL too, and I wasn't sure if it was a result of the injury pileup. I'm sure a lot of this was, but um, 
Is he somebody that you kind of see as a dark horse to compete for a roster spot going into next year, or is he going to be staying down with uh, the club? Yeah, I think that, yes, he came up because of the injuries. I mean, it's it was a crazy time there. But I'm, I, I am not as bullish on him making the NHL roster out of camp as maybe some of my colleagues. And I say that with full respect to the player, only because I don't think we know what he is yet. And that's such a big jump um, from the CHL to the NHL. Um, this is a kid who's known for his speed, had a really strong season at the junior hockey level. But I, you know, it's my understanding he's still really trying to get comfort in that scoring um, skill. And he's obviously got to be comfortable with those big bodies. We talked to him this offseason. He said, you know, he had a couple welcome to the NHL moments, even in a few <laughs> games that he played. So um, I think he's definitely going to get a look. I think he definitely has a chance, again, because of that speed. But I think there are some areas of his game he still needs to round out. So does he see NHL time next year? I think he does, but I don't know that he starts on the opening night roster. He's captain of the AHL team. Is that right? Uh, well, he played his whole year in in junior. Um, he never got to come up because everything stopped. Okay. <laughs> so um, I think he I think he wore a letter um, in London, but he never got to, he right. never played a minute in Cleveland. That you know, and again, there's there's something to be said. It's the cliche of dominating at the lower levels, so that when you come up to the NHL, you're completely ready. I could see that be a situation potentially for him. Oh, right on. Do you see anybody else kind of making a surprise splash going into this next year? Uh, someone I'm watching, I don't know if he's going to be ready to make a splash uh, proper, but uh, a dark horse for sure in my book is Trey Fix Wolanski. Um, this is a small kid, played in the W. Um, his first AHL season was kind of taken um, off the rails by, you guessed it, injuries because they were <laughs> everywhere in the organization. It's contagious. Um, it is. But in talking to uh, the Monsters, the AHL GM, uh, Chris Clark, who's also been the development coach for years, um, they, they have, uh, they're opportunistic and optimistic about him. He just needs some more minutes to fully continue that tr transition from the W to the A and then hopefully to the NHL. But I think he's a kid that will definitely get a look if his career stays on track. Well, Allison, those are all the questions I have. So thank you so much for the time you gave us. And once again, everybody, this is Allison Lucan. You guys can find her at Allison L on Twitter and on The Athletic. I know you guys are running the free um, the free trial right now, which is, you know, better now more than ever. And <laughs> definitely check out Too Many Men, uh, the podcast there. So thank you once again, Allison. It was, uh, it was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. This was great. Take care. Next up, we got Arthur Staple covering the Islanders, and we're going to be tuning in for that one. Oh, man, I'll tell you, I was doing an interview last week, and I, I think I was like 10 minutes in, and the, the, the guy I was interviewing, he told me, he was like, hey, you sure you want to, you don't want to record this one? <laughs> But uh, okay, so anyway, Arthur Staple, uh, you guys can find him at Stape Athletic on Twitter. If there's anything else you're working on, man, feel free. Floor's yours. 
Uh, no, just the usual stuff over at The Athletic, trying to keep our very loyal uh, and eager subscribers entertained throughout the lockdown. It's uh, It feels like it's been a long time since there's been any actual games to write about, but... Um, you know, we just uh, posted our uh, our first uh, Islanders fan survey. We got about 2,200 responses to some wow. fun questions, and uh, yeah, it's been uh, it's been good. And we're just trying to keep all the content rolling and the podcasts that we have rolling uh, as much as we can. Yeah, I'm a big fan of. Uh, we listen to the what is it? Four Stack Lines with Eric and um, and Chris. Yeah, that's a good that's one. A- yeah, I like their fantasy hockey stuff. So, okay, you got 2,200 questions. I got a few more for you right here. Uh, I want to start off on Matthew Barzell, on the top-end talent in on Long Island. I've been instructed not to call it in Long Island and call it on Long Island. <laughs> Very good. Uh, so first off, Matthew Barzell, how much more does he really have to offer, man? He's been, he's been so much fun to watch. He was electric in his rookie year and then kind of took a step back. A lot of people... Uh, attributed that to, you know, maybe Tavares was leaving. But uh, from what I can remember, they didn't play together too much. But what I would like to know is, is how many gears are really left to his game? How much more is there? You know, I think uh, I think the lower numbers really last season and this season are are mainly a function of just adapting to a new system under Barry Trotz and a, and a system that accentuates, uh, you know, play away from the puck and and playing a more defensive style more responsible style and you know i think even in the conversations that i've had with barzell over the last couple of years he said i could have 100 points every year and never and never make the playoffs because of the way we played my rookie year and uh, that was certainly fun and and you can see how much joy he gets from from the creative offensive side of the game but you know the focus is about making it to the playoffs and uh and advancing in the playoffs and the fact that they were able to do that last season and uh and really that was kind of his uh his seem really his most creative time i mean he you know he and jordan eberly really kind of uh, with the, with the aid of maybe Robin Leonard and a couple other guys, those two really single-handedly put the Penguins in their place in that sweep in the first round. Barzal was the leading scorer on the team in the in the two rounds that they played. So I think there's still more for him, uh, another level for him to get to, or at least to get back to. And I think a lot of that is a function of having wingers that uh, that can kind of keep up with him. You know, Lou Lamarillo went after Artemi Panarin pretty hard last summer, he went to the Rangers instead for less money, and that would have been someone that obviously would have uh, helped boost Barzell's production, especially on the power play where the Islanders have been pretty bad uh, under trots the last two seasons. So, you know, is he a, is he an 85-90 point guy every year? I'm not so sure that they will will really be able to play that way over the coming years, but I don't think he's a 60 point guy either. I think there's there's a there's a midpoint in there somewhere where he's closer to a point a game guy if if their offense and their power play can can kind of match what they've done defensively. I want to touch on the power play a little bit later, but from what you're telling me, it sounds like Barzal is going to produce a little bit more next year. Um, you know, at least one would think, what do you think a contract's going to look for, like for him? Well, you know, before, uh, before this pandemic hit, uh, it was certainly something that was up for a lot of debate. And now I feel like there's, there's a lot more factors that have been thrown into the mix where it, it feels like, you know, maybe they're le- they could lean more towards uh, a two-year bridge deal just to just to have some some cost certainty on both sides. He gets uh, a couple more years to prove himself at a decent number. The Islanders, uh, you know, who already have a lot of salary commitments for next season, and I'm sure will be facing a cap that's either stagnant or going down, considering all the financials that you know hits the league mm-hmm. is going to take. 
that at least gives them some certainty to know for at least, you know, to push the kick that can down the road to work on a, a bigger contract for Barzal. But, uh, but you know, that that's kind of my only thought, whether it's two years, uh, you know, kind of along the lines of what Patrick Line did uh, last year, two years, whatever, six and a half, seven million per. I guess you could go to the other end too and say maybe they want some some certainty in terms of term and, and try to go bigger on a seven or eight year year deal in the you know in the ten or eleven million per range just to have him know that he's the superstar and he's the guy that's going to be at the top of the heap financially and uh, mm-hmm. and offensively. But I would imagine shorter term is probably the way that they're they're going to go. They do have Ryan Pollock and Devon Taves who are both also restricted free agents. And not a lot of cap room and, and no one knowing if there's going to be compliance buyouts, whether they can make some trades, whether the draft is going to come before whatever restart happens uh, that might sort of hamper any any, you know, cash saving deals that Lamarillo might want to make. So it's all a bit of a jumble right now. But my my initial thought is um, something shorter term just to have him in the fold for a couple more years at a, at a decent number before the, the big numbers really get going. Is there any worry in the organization that somebody like Mark Bergevin goes a little rogue again, that maybe <laughs> you have to follow suit? No, I don't think so. I can't imagine that anybody, any team is really going to be in a financial situation going into next season to start throwing around uh, <laughs> offer sheets. It's no, just, uh, you know, uh, everybody, you know, half the teams in the league are already worried about the salary cap and the other half probably have a few guys that they need to sign. So, um I imagine it's going to be, uh, I, I don't know if it's going to be a, a kumbaya kind of offseason after all of the upheaval of the last few months, but I, I can't see uh, anyone kind of going at each other's throats over an offer sheet at this point. Well, it was fun to watch last year, but I, I think <laughs> you, you might be right this year. Uh, the next topic I want to touch on is the prospect pool that is in Long on Long Island. It's going to be a hard habit to break there. Um <laughs> I mean, it's impressive. You got Dobson, Bellows, Wallstrom, Dow Cole. They even showed themselves this year in the NHL. But I, th- I think what's more intriguing is what's still left. Uh, you got Koivola, Bolduck, Wild, Wallstrom. Is there almost a systematic issue there between him and Barry Trotz, or does he just need a little more marinating? Yeah, I mean, I think he was pretty green this year. You know, his first pro season, and really, I don't think anyone in the organization would have advocated for him leaving Boston college to turn pro, but that was, uh, that was what he wanted. And they were willing to accommodate it mostly because they had, you know, the, the opportunity with, uh, Bodie wild was, uh, was turned pro at least for a little while before he went back to the OHL towards the end of the season before the, the lockdown came Simon Holmstrom, their first round pick from 2019 was also stayed over here in North America and played in the AHL. So they had a lot of young guys, uh, and really, you know, Bridgeport for for this past season was was very much about acclimating their their big prospects to life in the pro game. So it wasn't really about the results. And and to see Wallstrom get called up as early as he did was kind of a nice nod. And he got his nine games, and it was pretty clear, I think, towards the end of that that stint, that uh, he wasn't going to get much more than that because they wanted to slide his entry level deal to next year. And um, you know, went back and, and had an okay year in the AHL, but uh, the nine games with no points in the NHL, I think, showed a couple things. He he did show physically he was he was able to keep up. It wasn't he's not a shy kid. He took a lot of shots and and kind of tried to generate a lot, which is uh, a bit of his calling card as a as an amateur. Uh, and I think just not being able to produce and not being able to get a consistent role in the top nine showed that uh, he did need an, at least another year. And uh, I you know I think producing 22 points 
in 44, 45 games in the AHL, not eye-popping numbers, but Bridgeport was a team that struggled to score goals and struggled to win games. I think that was about fifth or sixth in scoring for them. So uh, not a terrible season for him. Uh, went to play another World Juniors uh, for the U.S. And I think next season, um, you know, whenever we get started with that, it's going to be a big one for him. The, like we were talking about, uh, the Islanders have a lot of cap issues with whatever the cap is going to be. They have a lot of key guys they need to sign. And that means they, there's going to be a couple of roster spots saved for guys on entry-level deals. So you'd think Wallstrom, you'd think Kiefer Bellows, one or both of those guys might start the season with the, with the big club and, and be counted on to produce in a in a top-nine role. You know, they've really, uh, with the acquisition of J.G. Pajot, having one of those guys or both of those guys play on a third line doesn't sound as bad as it did at the beginning of the season because Pajot is a scorer and, and has shown that he can score goals and produce. Um, so it'd be interesting to see what Wallstrom can do in training camp, you know, how he comes out of this, uh, this break uh, as a young guy. I'm always, I'm certainly curious how a lot of the guys that are still developing in terms of prospects are going to be able to, to get back on the ice with, with really any league outside of the NHL being shut down for the rest of the year. So, you know, I think it'll be a big time for him and a big time for the Islanders to, to really see if, one or both of those forward top forward prospects can uh, can grab a role. Somebody else that's going to be making some noise this year, or at least we hope so, especially in fantasy circles, is Sorokin. Um, so Trotz, he's been known for riding a 50-50 tandem in, on Long Island. There I go again. Do you think that's going to continue with Sorokin, or is Sorokin going to be somebody that's getting a little AHL time? Or um, is there even a possibility that by year's end, Sorokin could be the, the 1A? Yeah, you know, I think it's uh, kind of with a lot of these other things, I hate to say it, it really, it's hard to see. But if, the, you know, if we see a, a season that starts, you know, in December or whatever, and it's it's uh, close to a full season or whatever whatever the NHL can put together, I could see him, you know, being a guy that uh, splits with Semyon Varlama 50-50, maybe even gets a, a little bit of the majority of the starts. I think a lot depends on how he heads into it, whether he's able to play somewhere, you know, he's still, he's going to be 25 when, uh, when next season begins. Um, and to be off from April when the, when the KHL shut down until possibly December, since it doesn't seem like any of the contracts, uh, for guys that are signing from overseas are going to be starting this season. Uh, that's a big consideration that he's, that he might not be able to play anywhere until then. So I'm curious to see, uh, how the Islanders and, and Sorokin's camp sort all that out. But I think once he's here, um, you know, seeing what what happened with Igor Shesterkin and the Rangers guy who was willing to start in the AHL, you know, torched that league and was in, was incredible, and then came up and and is probably going to push Henrik Lundqvist out the door. He was that good. So I think the Islanders feel like well, they've got a a guy who's as good, if not better, than Shesterkin over the course of his pro career in in Russia. Uh, they want to get him here. They want to make sure that he's got a spot. Uh, in their in their goalie rotation and uh, whether it's splitting or he gets a little bit more of the time or a little bit less um, I think by 21-22 you're going to see uh, it's it'll be pretty clear that Sorokin will be the number one goalie for the Islanders and that's mm. you know that's a big thing for Lou Lamarillo uh, you know you think back to all his years as a general manager in the NHL having a, a, a true number one goalie uh, has been his biggest priority and I think it was a big priority for him when he took over this job uh, with the Islanders a couple of years ago, they kind of fell into having Robin Leonard with such a great year. And then they kind of surprisingly reversed course and went with Varlamov. And I think uh, some of that had to do with the promise of Sorokin coming over, 
maybe meshing a little bit better with with Varlamov, who's a guy he knows. But I think the the idea has has been all along, and as it was even with Garth Snow, that when Sorokin got here, it wouldn't take very long for him to be a, a true number one goalie. That's that was drafted by the Islanders, which is uh, going back, geez, to Billy Smith. It's been it's been hard to find a really good homegrown goalie in this organization, so they've all been wanting it for a long, long time. I'm a Flyers fan. I'm right there with you guys. So <laughs> uh, you spoke a little bit to. Um, trots in his kind of defensive gameplay it's it's not exactly conducive to scoring and i don't know if you're savvy too much in fantasy circles but that's what that's all we're going for we can't we couldn't care less about defensive <laughs> systems or any of that um we want scoring and new york the on the long island it doesn't seem like uh the best place for it but it is a great place to have goalies so i think that's going to play well to sorokin um Verlamov. but i think w- my question with the defensive gameplay is this by design or it like, how do they keep their defensive system afloat without uh, winning games, like high-scoring games? You know, it's it's uh, it's a lot to do with Trotz and his and his coaching staff. Lane Lambert, uh, Mitch Korn is the goalie coach. You know, these are guys that have worked with him for decades, and uh, they have a real rhythm that uh, and his ability to communicate. You know, is really. Um, you see it so quickly just as a reporter, and you can imagine what it's like inside a room. You know, I think a lot of the guys who stayed through the transition from the Garth Snow, Doug Waite era, John Tavares left, uh, they have, you know, they, they were able to turn things around last season with a lot of the same people that have been here for a long time. And I think it was a group of guys that hadn't really experienced that sort of coach and that sort of, with, with that sort of pedigree. Um, it just felt a lot different, I think, for a lot of the longtime Islanders. And, and I think they were ready to to hear what, what Trotz was, uh, was saying. And it was, it was a message of this is the way that we have to play to win. You know, nobody expects us to be any good with Tavares having left. Uh, and I think taking that, that chip on their shoulder attitude, which a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of the defensive style, whether it's forechecking in the offensive zone or, or boxing your man out in the defensive zone, a lot of it is, is just work ethic. And I think, uh, a lot of guys found that level pretty quickly uh, in 1819 and uh you know it's sputtered a bit in 1920 with some injuries and just uh you know maybe a little bit feeling too good about themselves after going uh 16 3 and 2 to start the season but uh but yeah i think i think the the main thrust of what trots has done is is mostly about the personnel they have it's it's not a it's not a big talent team uh they're pretty pretty even from 1 through 12 up front and 1 through 6 on defense but uh but you wouldn't say anybody outside of Barzal is a real, you know, a real, a real offensive superstar. And obviously, for some of your uh, listeners, uh, that's not the that's not the thing you want to hear. But um, <laughs> but I think you know the, some of the moves that Lamarillo's made, obviously striking out with Panera, and that would have changed a lot of things about the way Trotz coaches the team. And I think you know, the near miss of getting Zach Parise at the trade deadline would have been a unique trade. And I don't think Parise is anywhere near his prime, but he's another guy who knows how to put the puck in the net and is a, is a a good power play producer uh, still at age 35. And so I think going into the off season, uh, the kind of changes that they're going to be looking to make, you know, they're going to need to shed some salary. Uh, You'd think a guy like Nick Letty, who's had some good offensive seasons as a defenseman and as kind of the, the power play quarterback, if they end up moving him to just shed some salary or maybe try to create some space to bring in a a high-end top-line winger to play with Barzal, then I think you'd see a guy like Devon Taves, a guy like Ryan Pollock, who both of them have produced at a decent clip as defensemen, 
maybe get a little more power play time, uh, maybe get a little more even strength time to produce, uh, you know, and I think Barzal and, and a guy like Jordan Eberle, guys who have worked well together, and Eberle certainly has a decent track record as a, as a scorer in Edmonton on some not-so-great teams. Um, but he's, you know, I think Trotz views his lines mostly as duos, not necessarily trios, and those two always seem to end up together. Uh, no matter whether they juggle some lines. So I'd be curious to see if they were able to bring in someone. You know, I think Taylor Hall is obviously the the pinnacle guy as a, as a free agent, whether they can make swing for the fences that way. That would certainly improve Barzal's production. And I think uh, I think they're sort of order their top nine in a way that they could be a more reliable offensive team. So I think it's more a matter of the last couple of years of what Trot saw in his uh, – in his cupboard and, and uh, you know, if you had shinier objects in there, maybe they'd play a little differently and, and produce a little bit more. So if you had to pick one guy to make a surprise, like a, like a big splash this year, almost out of nowhere, who would it be? Um, yeah, I don't know if you could say it's a surprise anymore, but Brock Nelson, I think has really been the one oh, guy yeah. that, that offensively has, has taken a step forward under trots. You know, I think for a, a few years he was, uh, you know, he kind of had the the Brocktober hashtag. He would start seasons really well, <laughs> score a lot of goals in the first month of the year, and then kind of float along. and And I think it hurt uh, in his time under Jack Capuano and under Doug Waite. They just never really found a, a a real role for him. You know, he was he was drafted as a center. They he had him. They had him on the wing a lot. He was the net front guy before on the power play before Anders Lee kind of assumed that spot a few years ago. And then he just sort of, you know, he seemed to just be on the outside of, of a regular top six shift and a top power play unit shift. And I think when uh, when Trotz came in as he was trying to tame Matthew Barzal into, you know, the 2018-19 season, he really relied on Brock Nelson a lot as uh, as his true number one center. And I think what Nelson gives you uh, is the ability to, to generate his own offense. And uh, and he's a reliable scorer at even strength, you know, I, the power play, like I said, has not been good. He doesn't he doesn't get a lot of time on that top unit, but uh, but he still scores goals. You know, I think uh, and in 1920, I think he, he developed a real knack for scoring clutch goals. I think he had three or four overtime winners, uh, a couple of six on five goals in the last minute of regulation to tie games. And so I think he's probably the guy that if you're looking for dependability out of this lineup, he's certainly not going to be a guy you draft in the first few rounds of any any fantasy draft, but, uh, but he, you know, to see him get 25, 30 goals and 55, 60 points, isn't going to be out of the question, I think in years to come. Oh, right on, man. Arthur, thank you so much for the time you gave us and, uh, I hope you have a good night. And, you know, th- with this lockdown we've been talking about, it's, <laughs> I hope you have been sane and continue to stay sane. So <laughs> uh, staying sane is important. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Tim. Anytime. Well, thanks a lot. See you around. All right. Take care. Right, buddy. So that was it for uh, for today's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Next up, we got the Rangers and we got the New Jersey Devils. We're going to be talking to Rick Carpaniello and Corey Masisak about those two teams, and then we're just going to like kind of do uh, just like a free for all, I guess, at the end of that one. But uh, yeah, that's it for today, boys. So I love free for alls. Yeah, nice little uh, opinion orgy. So thanks for listening, guys. Tune in next time. We love you. Love yous.